the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. excited to be sitting down with Jordana Vasquez. Jordana is a senior manager for climate resilience and equity at the Resilient Cities Network and program lead on the Resilience for Communities R4C program. In this role, she engages with program participants, including city staff, local community organizations, and other stakeholders to advance opportunities to identify and scale community-centric resilience solutions. She provides technical support on local vulnerability analysis, as well as community engagement tools and project implementation resources, working with communities to develop actions that address climate risks and social economic inequities. She launched and co-founded Woxis, the only global digital collective and community that is 100% dedicated to advancing women of color working across the sustainability industry. Since its launch in 2019, the community has brought together over 5,000 women of color through virtual and in-person events, social media channels, a digital community, and online publication. Prior to her work at Resilient Cities Network, Jordana served as a senior associate with a New York City nonprofit, the Building Energy Exchange, tackling climate issues linked to the built environment in support of the city and state's ambitious climate action plans. Before that, Jordana worked as a community development officer, providing technical assistance and development aid for Hurricane Sandy's multifamily recovery and resiliency efforts. We talked about everything from climate resilience and community engagement to building trust. She shared what inspired her to co-found the Women of Color Collective in Sustainability, the advice she would give her 18-year-old self, and the importance of putting well-being front and center. There is so much magic in this episode, and without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited to be sitting down today with Georgiana Vasquez. Jordana, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Liz. Very happy to be here. Oh my goodness. We have so much good stuff to talk about today. Um, I cannot wait to get into it. Uh, But maybe just to get us started, would you mind briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Jordana Vasquez. I'm a senior manager for climate resilience and equity at Resilient Cities Network. And I also wear another hat as the co-founder of Women of Color Collective and Sustainability. I am based in New York, and I've been here for about 10 to 12 years now, and originally from Dominican Republic. Oh, awesome. Uh, Well, thank you so much. There's so much in there that I want to ask many more questions about. Uh, Maybe to get us started, um, would love to hear a little bit more about the Resilient Cities Network and the work that you do there. Absolutely. So Resilient Cities Network, uh, it's a one of the world urban resilience networks. We bring together knowledge, 
practice partnerships and funding to empower cities to build a safe and equitable, sustainable future. Um, we work with cities all over the world. And for my part in my portfolio, I work with cities in the North America region, more specifically with five cities. Uh, five of them would be Boston, uh, Houston, Chicago, New Orleans, and Charleston. And the program that I'm leading is called Resilience for Communities, so short for R4C. And we're looking to really get a good understanding of what are the uh, the cities, the community's perception of resilience. Uh, we're using a tool called the CRMC, so Climate Resilience Measurement for Communities, to really understand how community residents are impacted during the event of a flood or during the event of a heat. So really collecting those stories and then using those the data to inform the interventions and solutions that we're going to put into place in the communities. Oh my goodness. Well, it's so interesting. And I feel like that work is more important now than ever in terms of helping cities and communities prepare for the impacts of climate change. Um, for our listeners or anyone who's maybe like a little bit less close to climate resilience and the climate resilience conversation, um, why is resilience so important for cities, in particular, the cities that you're currently working with? So the way that we define resilience in our practice is really about learning not only how to survive and, and how to uh, deal with the immediate shocks and stresses, it's also a matter of how do we adapt in event of an impact, uh, how do we thrive, and also how do we grow. So for the cities that we're working in, we're, all, we're coming from the lens of how do we take the present impacts of flood and heat, because are the two shocks and stresses that, the stresses that we're looking at, and not only learn to, to thrive in those conditions, let's see what are the different areas, what are the gaps and challenges that the community are facing, and look at it in a very much holistic way. Holistic way. So an example of that would be in the event of a flood in the city of Houston, do the community members have access to education? Do the community members have access to transportation? So all those different little small, all that so small factors that are, are part of the city's ecosystems, how do we ensure that they're all set in place in a way that in the event of an impact, residents can still access them and can still um, use those resources and use those uh, different you know, services? So that's how we, we define resilience. That's why we think it's important to look at the cities from that lens, because it's all about how do we build up the city? So if one thing fails, we have the rest of the other services um, in place to come up with. Yeah. Totally. Well, and I know that the like community engagement piece is so important and like such a key aspect of like how you're thinking about and working on resilience. How do how does like community engagement really come into the picture of making sure that people have like the information and are able to communicate and access resources? Oh, absolutely, and I love this question because a lot of the work that we do with resilience for community has community engagement at the core. So for the city of Houston, a big part, as I mentioned before, the the program that we're leading, it's about capturing the stories of those uh, affected, those vulnerable, marginalized communities in in Houston that are typically the ones that bear the brunt of climate change. So for us, it was really important to make sure that we capture the voices of, of the community members. And 
To do that, we had number one, to connect with the local champions, both communities we were working in, in Trinity Houston Gardens and also in A-Leaf. Both communities had really strong local champions or in other words, community ambassadors. There are perceived as folks that have a voice uh, at the different tables, have the attention of the city, have different roles from community liaison to sometimes being a strong presence in their interfaith institutions to the people that they trust that will have their best interests at place. So we connected directly with those local champions and they facilitated opportunities for us to come into a leaf and Trinity Houston Gardens and do a round of surveys. Um, the first interaction was asking the community members, for example, as I mentioned before, do you have access to transportation during the event of a flood? Do you have access to healthy food? So in order to do that, we had to gain the trust of the community members, uh, land champions as well. Um, we also make sure that the community was compensated for their time. We, when we talk about subject matter experts, people typically think of, yeah, someone within the department, uh, the city department or someone within academic institution, which they are subject matter expert. But in my opinion, a community member that has faced all kinds of shock and stresses related to climate change is a subject matter expert on itself because they have been the one that had to face the impact, number one, that had to be the one that had to adapt to it. And then number three, number one, face it, number two, adapt. And then number three, deal with the consequences. What kind of financial burden would uh, the, the impact put on them? How do they come out of it? Hopefully more strong, stronger or, uh, or in many, many cases, not so strong because they had to put, you know, certain financial allocations, resources into coming out of a, you know, in, in a case of a flood or, or a heat wave, put some of those savings most likely into dealing with the, the outcome of that. So that's, you know, for us, understanding where people are at in the event of a flood or heat, how they cope with it, and also how do we make sure that their voices are accounted when we come in their next phase, which is thinking about the solutions and thinking about the interventions that are going to be implemented. All of those design ideas or programmatic ideas will come out of the conversations that we have with the community from the beginning to the midpoint checks to the eventual implementation. And the reason why the community engagement is so important all throughout a, a program like this is because you want, at the end of the day, that the program or project that is implemented is sustainable that people feel certain ownership on what is uh, put in the ground, and then also feel some pride. So you wanna make sure that people are accepted, um, they are they see themselves in the interventions that are being put in place, and they feel that it's something that directly, um, that's a direct response of the needs that they express at the beginning of the program. Oh my goodness, well, I think um, that's, so important. And I love how you describe the approach that you're taking to really like building that trust and seeing the people who've had the the lived experience on the front lines as the subject matter experts who can help inform the intervention that's actually going to work for them. I'm curious, how have you gone about like building trust within those communities? I feel like you open with stating like just how important the trust piece is in coming in to help 
think about building out resilience. And I'm, I'm just curious if you have any like thoughts or words of wisdom on, on how you can build that trust with those community leaders and communities. I think building trust is definitely one of the most important, I don't want to say factors here, but it's definitely step number one before coming into the communities. And the reason I say this is because communities over and over and over would see different institutions come in, make a promise that they're going to implement something, survey, then cause community engagement fatigue and leave uh, for different, you know, different reasons, maybe not enough, enough financial uh, resources or just resources overall. And we face a lot of community residents that were clearly tired of feeling extracted, feeling that they were being uh, extracted from, I mean, feeling that they were, again, being promised, you know, something to be put into place and gone rounds of surveys and focus groups and at the end not having what was promised and what was discussed with them. So we worked really hard with the cities, so city of Houston and, and working now with the city of Boston to connect directly with the local champions on the ground. Um, as I mentioned before, Houston has some extremely um, amazing champions that have given endless hours and time of their day and to build not only the reputation of being uh, a voice, but also an ambassador. So we uh, connected with them directly. We were really intentional about showing that not only are we coming here to ask these questions and explain the program, we also have a financial component dedicated to this program. And I think when residents and committee members heard that there's definitely money allocated to implementation, people were more open to have these conversations with us because they knew that if we were associated with the city of Houston, but also if we're talking about there's a monetary backup for the solutions that are going to be implemented, the likeliness of these interventions to happen are higher. Uh, so we didn't come with empty promises. Um, I mentioned that we also compensated the the community members for, for the time. And I think seeing that as, you know, a token of gratitude, but in our end, it's like you deserve this because this is time of your day that you're giving us. But that also, you know, I wanted to make sure that when we were deciding this engagement, that it didn't feel extractive. And we sat down with them. We'd answer all of their questions. We did tell them that it's a program that we're helping to shape with their input. And we took that to the core. We took that to heart. Um, and we not only came once, we came multiple times to the community. So people also got used to seeing, seeing uh, us in in a leaf and trade to Houston Gardens. It wasn't one of those one time in town and then never come back again. No, we worked really hard to establish a, a trusting relationships from, from both sides. And that's something that we're hoping to do in Boston as well. Um, a different approach that I would like to try in a different uh, context would be to come uh, into the communities prior to doing the activities of the surveys and prior to doing some of the focus groups and just have an open forum with the, the community. Just listen to them um, in a more informal setting. What are their uh, pain points and what are their, you know, their main needs before coming with the surveys? And I think 
listening just more of a casual informal setting could have a different sort of response rate, of course. Uh, but more than anything, uh, be sort of the entry point for, for us to then come into the community and say, well, now that you know our name, that now that we're a little bit more familiar to you, we're coming back in a couple of weeks in a more formal setting to have this focus group and have the surveys conducted. Oh, I love I love that idea. And I feel like it's, yeah, it's such a different experience when you meet people and you're like coming to listen uh, as the starting point. Uh, it sounds like such a great approach to potentially start with um, in the future to really make sure people feel like they're being heard. Is network on your 2023 to-do list? Hi there, it's Liz. If you're liking our conversation and our approach to personal development, career advancement, and living a life that turns you on, I invite you to join our community, the Girls Club Collective. We are the intentionally intimate personal and professional development community for women who are changing the world. Instead of asking for a seat at the table, we decided to build our own. Like most change agents and rebels with a cause, you don't often have enough hours in the day to change the world and cultivate a strategic network. If overwhelm has become your second language and you're feeling tired of trying to convince your own marketing team to actually read your ESG report, you're in the right place. We know that sometimes trying to make a difference can feel like being that one person out on the dance floor trying to get the party started. And that's why we created the Girls Club Collective. It's where women changing the world organize, and all you have to do is show up as yourself. We are the anti-establishment version of the Boys Club, reimagining ambition, and leading the movement of meaningful work fueled by moxie, strategy, and a little bit of magic. That means you not only gain access to a community of people you need to know, you'll also take a look at how you can grow as a leader, what you really want, and why your dream of living by the beach and working for yourself isn't as crazy as it sometimes feels. By offering monthly peer advisory, salons on timely and relevant topics, networking power hours, and more, the Girls Club Collective is your extended team, your extra brains, and an energizing environment that is geared toward your personal and professional growth. We believe that changing the world is a team sport. Join the collective designed for exactly that and use the code PODCAST, that's all caps PODCAST, for 10% off your first year of membership. You can find the link to join us in the show notes. And I cannot wait to see you in the collective. I would love to hear more too just about you and your story and how you came to be here and how you came to be doing this work. Um, One of my favorite things to do on the podcast is just really hear, you know, real life personal stories of how people came to be where they are today. Um, so really the invitation is like, take up space and tell us about your journey and, and how you came to be in the moment that we find you. Oh, goodness. How much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, happy to tell you a bit of my story and, and how I came to be not only in this position, but, you know, like where, where we are in, in, in time. Uh, so my training, uh, formal training as an architect, I went to Pratt Institute and studied architecture. Previously to that, I started architecture in the Dominican Republic and decided to transfer to the U.S. Um, right after pursuing uh, architecture, 
I worked in the field for, I want to say, two to three years and a half and decided as many architects that I know, not only from my cohort and, and group, but I think just generational <laughs> change, um, realized that architecture without the, in the context of climate and in the context of global warming, in the context of sustainability, just didn't feel at hearts and didn't feel, didn't feel proper. And, and I'll explain myself. Um, after two years uh, of working in the field of architecture, I felt a little bit detached from a couple of social causes that I really care about. And that might have been because of the nature of the work was really focused on design build and high rise building. And I had colleagues who absolutely adore and loved the work that they were doing. But I was always more drawn to work uh, that was uh, supporting social causes more on the humanitarian side. I had worked previously in at Habitat for Humanity and really loved my, my, my work, my time there. So at one point in my career, I had to make the decision that I want to stay in more of a typical conventional, conventional architecture track or do I want to try something that felt a little bit more aligned with social impact. And that's when a position opened at a nonprofit that was working directly with Hurricane Sandy relief efforts. And they were looking, I want to say almost looking for a unicorn, now that I'm calling myself <laughs> one. <but laughs> they were looking at, at someone who had experience in construction and project management, but also had experience with um, vendors and communities and had an inclination for work on the climate space, even though it was not explicitly said. Um, I think any work that relates to hurricanes and relates to flood has to have a direct relationship to a just a, a genuine care for the for the planet. And I when I interviewed and I met some of my who were going to be my colleagues and team, I found out that I had a team that was really much pro, you know, interventions that address climate change impacts. Um, they had a quite a variety of diverse backgrounds from architecture, engineer to food and agriculture and real estate. So I found myself in a really interesting space where I almost thought to myself, like, I can do anything now that I'm in this position, I don't need to just do one thing, which, you know, when I started school many, many, many moons ago, you had to make the decision if you wanted to be a doctor, and this is the Dominican Republic, doctor, a lawyer, an architect, or an engineer. So moving to the U.S., um, I felt like my options broadened. Um, and then at the point in time that we were back when I started working at a nonprofit, the topic of resiliency after Hurricane Sandy and the topic of climate change just became more everyday present for us. And I just knew that at some point I just could not just do architecture without, without that context. So that was pretty much the, the fire that started my journey in, in climate and resiliency work, really working closely with the communities that were impacted by Hurricane Sandy understanding their stories, understanding their needs, understanding how we can not only repair, but thinking about 
what could have been what could be the next 100 year storm we're talking about 50 25 10 you know the the time that we were thinking initially is the frequency of the storms has dramatically changed right we're not talking we're seeing the the frequency of these storms way more uh you know in the short amount of time that we predicted them in 20 30 40 50 years ago so really that for me i think that experience working um really at the uh at the forefront of, of something that was very new to new york city when it comes to hurricanes and flood was i think the beginning of what I knew was not gonna, was going to be a not turning back. So after that uh, opportunity, I ended up then working for a couple of different uh, organizations that all had the same common theme of climate work. Uh, some of them were more on the energy side and the other ones were a little more on the knowledge product. So I was very intentional about trying different things. And this is something that I encourage a lot of 20 year olds, you know, make sure that, you know, the, the dream of working somewhere as you're starting your career forever in 2023, it's, it's, it's very different from when it was, you know, in, in 2013, I think now you have the opportunity to try more things and take a little bit more risk until you find what is the niche that you really love. And until you find the organization that has the values that really re like resonate with you. So in 2020, an, a world opened at my current organization, uh, Resilient Cities Network. And when I saw the, the title for Climate Resilience and Equity, I immediately uh, was drawn to, to the description and the kind of work that they were gonna, uh, that we were gonna do together. And I really think that my background working with Hurricane Sandy relief efforts and community development and also a sort of love and passion for project management with the background in architecture like really really helped to to shape the the program that we're working on that we're leading on now in the US. Um, I mentioned equity because and I can talk to you a little bit about women of color collective and sustainability and how that piece came together um and into the work that i do now but also life i think the role that i'm in now really is everything i could have dreamed for as far as community engagement as far as like working with different cities working with a team uh, that really cares about the environment that really cares about creating impact um to the most you know underserved underinvested and under-resourced communities uh in the u.s so that's part, I, I asked how much time we had because <laughs> we can keep talking forever, uh, oh but God. I can pause there. I love it. Thank you so much for indulging us with like the longer version. I'm sure there's an even longer version. The more <laughs> there is. Um, and also if there's anywhere that you can call yourself a unicorn candidate, it's here. So. <laughs> yeah, thank Mickey you. Mickey Blush. <laughs> here for. Uh, and I would I would love to pull on that thread. I know you mentioned um, the Women of Color Collective and Sustainability, which you co-founded almost four years ago, I think, um, which is the only global digital collective that's 100% dedicated to advancing women of color working across the sustainability industry. Um, so would love to hear a little bit more about like what inspired you to create the collective. And I mean, I have so many questions, but we can. <laughs> 
yeah, happy to indulge you in a little bit of, of Wox's talk. Um, so as I mentioned, I, I wear two hats and one of them is as the co-founder of Wuxis. And really the the creation of the collective, you know, we take let's take a little trip all the way back to 2019. Um, I was at a point where I was still fresh to the and new to the climate work, uh, climate world and in New York City. And I remember one specific event back in, I want to say beginning of 2019 um, or, or 2018, where I was standing in the room and it was a, a panel session and I looked around me and I was the only woman of color in the room. And I'm talking about dozens and dozens and dozens of participants in the room. So I immediately had the thought to my myself that in a city that is as large as New York, with so many rich, diverse backgrounds, ethnicities, and cultures, how come I am the only person that looks like me in this room? You know, um, and that was a, a moment that that I think kept repeating again and again. And I think it's important to take this in the context of as a woman of color in the work of not only architecture but energy and climate work that feeling of being the only one in the room is a common one. So that's where I'm coming from. Uh, being in the only one in a group, a team at work that looks like you, or being the only one in a meeting uh, that looks like you, it, it's it's a common feeling for, for a lot of us. So I just remember thinking to myself, like, not again, not, not again, I'm here in a space where we're talking about climate and obviously the most impacted communities are the ones, the frontline communities, are the ones where that richness and, 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 and diversity and, and talks of equity are just, you know, should be at the front and center. And how come those voices are not represented here or everywhere for that matter? Um, and I was, you know, going in my head, in my, I was in my head thinking about this and I look across the room and I saw another woman that looked at me for the first time and I was immediately like drawn and, and it had to like come and acknowledge it and say hi. And that was Chente. So I think the first few words that we said to each other is like, do you notice like the lack of diversity of, of women of color in the room? And she said, she said, she nodded, yes, you know, and we sort of like made a quick little vow, I think that day of, tagging each other along whenever we were going to similar events so we didn't feel like the only one moving forward. And what that looked like is sometimes there was an opportunity for an event that we would go together or to would extend an invitation to. Um, if an opportunity for a grant or a competition or something exciting came on her inbox, she would share that with me and I would do the same for her. So at some point, Months later, we realized that, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we face as women of color is the lack of access and the lack of, of knowledge exchange and opportunity um, uh, exchange and access to the mission before um, to other women of color. So we decided that in that moment, how about we open up, you know, the dynamic that you and I have about sharing exciting interesting things to other women who might also feel the same way that we feel because definitely not the only ones. And unfortunately, you know, that comes out of a frustration of, 
of not enough voices or not enough of us on the table. But it then turned out to something quite beautiful, which was as we noticed that there was an appetite for more um, of a, a sharing of, you know, spotlighting of collaboration and connection and mentorship, which are part of our pillars, we decided to formalize in a collective and say, hey, let's have a meet and greet. Everyone's invited. We put this on Eventbrite. And if you are a woman of color who works in climate and you want to meet other women, because you don't want to feel like you're the only one, you're definitely not the only one. There's tons of us in the city. Let's prove you or prove everyone wrong. Um, let's let's meet. Let's have a drink. And we thought we we're going to have about 10 people in the room, you know, for the happy hour. And we ended up having, I think, almost 40 to 50 women come. Uh, and I did promise the manager it was going to be a small crowd. So I know somewhere, is, I don't know if he was happy or, or not at the end of the evening. But I think for us, what that proved um, to Chante and to myself, that there was definitely a need for, for community. And there was definitely a need for space, um, for women to take space and for women to meet other women that not only were doing the work they were doing, but women that were looking for opportunities for mentorship, either to be a mentee or to mentor someone, um, women who were interested in connecting with others who'd had similar experiences at work, uh, similar experiences of you know their journeys, professional journeys, personal journeys, which if you and I don't share the same background, sometimes it's not the same, I cannot always come to like a common ground when we're talking about things like microaggressions or things like, you know, what has been some of the comments if you heard at work that really caused an impact and made you stop. It's a conversation that I am so appreciative to have a community where I can feel like I can have these conversations in a genuine way. And the other end is not only receptive, but understanding because they've been through the same thing. So that was the community that we're looking to create. And it came out really organically. Um, after that, in 2020, after months of, of meeting more casually, we decided to formalize the, um, the entity. And we not only have a safe space during COVID, because you know there were so many things happening, um, after the murder of George Floyd, we also uh, came together and, and made sure that people had a, a safe space that they can, you know, talk about anything from how is this affecting professional life? Are you looking for opportunities for work? Can we support you in the search? Um, how are you building community? Can we can we support you on, on that sense? So we came together really strongly for each other. We created a fund to also a microphone to help some of the the women that were part of the collective that had their uh, you know certain financial needs. We created spaces to spotlight some of the women and make sure that you know we were doing our due diligence and making sure that their their work and, and, and their names were known out there because, as you know, one of the very common phrases I heard back in 2020. Things have changed now for the better, but it was, I just don't have enough women applicants. Uh, that's why I'm not hiring them. And 
I don't think there are that many, you know, women working in climate or women working in architecture. So that's why my office looks like this. I mean, not in those exact words, but that was the understanding that because they were not out there, that they not they were not being they were not being hired. So as a response to that, we decided to create a job board. Um, yeah, so the job board was meant for us to connect with companies that were for companies to connect with us more than anything, because that was a big ask. A lot of companies, you know, during their reckoning. Um, came to us and, and wanted to connect with members that were open to, to new roles or were in the search for new roles. And that also was our way of making sure that our members felt that we were there to support them in their transitions professionally. So, yeah, we opened space for them. Uh, we created um, a job board, a, a member board for companies to be able to identify women who were on the search for their next job on transition. And we have been doing that since day one, um, opening opportunities as much as we can for job resources, hopefully for mentorships informally, for collaboration, for knowledge exchange, really creating a platform and space for our members to take space and for our members to feel that their voice is valued, that they're seen um, and that they, that the collective is here pretty much to, to serve them. Oh, that's amazing to hear. Um, such a, like, such a cool story of how organically like this came about. I mean, it's also a very, like, it's awful. The situation that exists, I would, you know, hazard a guess still exists in this space. I mean, it does still exist in this space. It's not a guess. Um, and, and it's so inspiring to hear the ways that you have been working over the past four years to um, create a space for women to take up space and connect and um, get the resources that they want and need. I'm curious for people who are listening who want to like support the work of the collective or share opportunities with the collective, like what's the best way for people to support the collective or get involved in the collective? Absolutely. So. The best way would be to check out our website. So it's W-O-C-C-S.co, so woxes.co. Um, take a look at our Instagram. Uh, so, and if you've put Women of Color Collective Sustainability, you'll find us. Uh, our LinkedIn group is also very active. Uh, so you can find us there, uh, Woxes or Women of Color Collective Sustainability. Um, yeah, so find us there, see what kind of opportunities are open, see what kind of resources are being shared amongst the members. We really want to bring back some of those in-person meetings. So if there's, you know, a host listening that would like to bring a couple of really cool women into their space, let us know. We'll definitely look in always for interesting spaces uh, that could host anything from 40 to 50 people and or sponsors that would like to take that on and, and and really just create a safe space for for women to to meet mingle talk about work if they want to but more than anything we'll put well-being at the front and center of anything that we do so <laughs> yeah i think really looking at opportunities for women together it's it's a big 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 demand right now i love that when well, i love this idea of putting well-being at the center of everything that you do what um what inspired that approach to putting that truly front and center. This is when I do like a shameless plug about my co-founder, Shante, 
because she's really good at putting well-being at the front and center of everything that she does. And that can look in, in diff that could look different ways, you know, meditation or journaling, um, or just taking time for ourselves. I think oftentimes, and I'm not gonna generalize here, but I would say for 2020, 2020, 2021, we both felt very burnt out after both years. Um, there was a, a big demand for women of color everywhere to have all the answers when it came to race and, and civil unrest and, and COVID and, and racial tensions. And I think a lot of us were just, you know, at the beginning, very understanding of, yeah, these are the resources. These are the answers to some of the questions. But after a year and a half of that constant sort of extractive, very much <laughs> transactional relationships, a lot of us felt that we're just being used and abused in a certain way, right? It's just like constantly giving. So I think one thing I've definitely learned from my co-founder has been to be intentional about replenishing some of that energy that we put out there um, and giving ourselves a break and giving ourselves some a grace that we are doing really hard work, working in climate, right? It's a lot of um, emotional distress that can come from just watching the news. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of harsh, harsh, harsh realities that we have to deal with on a daily basis to make sure that, you know, we, we're, we're keeping it flowing, keeping ourselves 100%, we're tactful. We have to take certain measures to replenish that energy and to bring that back. Um, and as I mentioned before, that can look very much different ways, but we all have our ways of filling our tank, um, our energy. And I, I realized, you know, after those two years that I had to make space for, for well-being to be at the top of my priorities, top three, um, right next to community, right next to professional development, right next to just happiness and joy. I needed to put time for myself and something that we try to emphasize to the collective in, in, in different ways that we're not only here space that will support your professional growth and we, we do that in community, but we also try to find ways to to bring some of the more of the lightweight and, and take the way out take the way out and and um and uh yeah I think realizing how much my life has changed because I took those steps and make sure that I was, you know, making the decision to put myself first, I think had a very, very, very uh, big impact on how I carry work now and how I balance myself moving forward. Oh my goodness. That's, it's so inspiring and um, so aligned with so much of like the work that I've been doing, the work I know a lot of women around me have been doing. It's like, yeah, we, we have to take care of ourselves to be able to show up for like the work that we do as change agents and our, our self-care cannot be like the last thing on our to-do list. It has to be first because without it, it's like just a burnout cycle. I think so often really appreciate that you're like putting that front and center. Um, I love how you described that. Well, I'd love to um, ask just a few more like kind of like quick hit questions that um, these are some of my favorite questions to ask podcast guests. Um, the first one is if you could give any advice to your younger self, what do you wish you could tell your younger self? 
and you can pick one age or just give some like general younger Jordana advice. I think I will pick myself at 18 or 17, trying to decide on a major, trying to decide on what path to take. Um, I would tell her that's going to be okay. I think no matter what professional background you have or, you know, career track, I find out through the years that your passions will align with your values and your values will align with your professional track. So the reason I say that is that I was always interested in social impact and humanitarian work and, and work that really had a strong foundation at the community level. And I found that no matter what professional track I chose, but I didn't think about this when I was 17, I thought it was going to be a very linear path. Um, my passion found me, you know? So I would tell my younger self to not try to, you know, plan the next 20 years so rigidly, but to let a few things just flow and, and to have trust in herself and myself that things will find their place. And yeah, just to, to have a little bit more faith that things will find me, that I will find out eventually what the best place for me was going to be, the city, work-wise, communities, um, and allow some flexibility or be open to flexibility and, and to adapt to, to changes. So yeah, I was one of the students that had 25 check boxes and I knew what was going to happen for the next two years. So I would tell her just put away the notebook for a couple of months and, and just <laughs> let, let's let things flow and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that advice. And I can't tell you how many people have said some version of that. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I know. I love it because it's so true. And I also think it's also so funny how I know, at least for younger Liz, like I, I could I would tell her that, but she probably wouldn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think younger me was very much of a planner and older me. It's much of a well, things will work out eventually. And I try to keep that mindset. Totally. Um, well, one other thing I have not at all secret dreams of doing is one day pulling together all the like favorite inspirational quotes and reminders that people who've been on the show have shared. I'm like surrounded by a sea of inspirational post-it notes right now. So <laughs> I'm curious if I gave you sort of like a post-it note to populate with whatever like reminder or phrase or saying or quote is like, giving you inspiration right now, what would you want to put on it? Ooh, um, this is a tough question, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to post it as a like, quote to think about, um, I really like the, the phrase of taking space, right? Um, so some version of that, it would be to not be afraid of taking space, owning space or demanding space. I think as young women of color, we're often sort of not encouraged to do that for different reasons. Um, and I think as I grew older, I realized that, yes, I do deserve to be in this table. I deserve to be in this room. I deserve to be in this place. I am deserving of these things. And the only way I can make sure that you all know is I've taken space and not being afraid to do that and not being afraid for asking for it. Um, so yeah, please take space. Mm, 
Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a virtual warm hug. <laughs> totally, totally. And I'll like bold and underline that one. Um, that's so beautiful. Uh, well, the last question I want to ask, because this is the Women Changing the World podcast, if you could change one thing about the world, what would you most want to change? Right along the lines of the work that we're doing is just the perception that we have of res- building resilience in communities. Uh, I want to make sure that people are aware that there are a lot of different ways of doing that, different ways of approaching the work that we do, not only from a environmental, ecological perspective, but also how do we build up cities to be the best places for people to live happily and work well and thrive. And that requires a lot of different actors, a lot of agents, a lot of different institutions to come and work together. So I would say more collaboration, more public-private partnerships, and definitely, definitely for every single one of those solutions or interventions that we're thinking about implementing, make sure that you always have the community voices front and center. Mm, I want to live in that world <laughs> when that's <laughs> happening. We're community, um, but always. <laughs> uh, well, for people who are listening who want to like find you, follow you, keep up with you and your work, where's the best place for people to, to find out more about you, to find out more about Wokesis, to find out more about Resilient Cities Network? Like, where are the best places? Absolutely. So, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Jordana Vasquez. Uh, you'll see I'm based in New York. And for Wokesis, it would be the same. Uh, LinkedIn would be the best place. I may take a little bit to reply, but I promise I reply to everyone on, on, on LinkedIn and also on Instagram. You can find me at Urban On Site. And that is the same username for Twitter as well, Urban On Site. I am literally good on Twitter, I'll say. I have a lot of, let's say, cat puns and, and some jokes there. So if you really want to strictly climate work we can find each other in linkedin if you want to <laughs> goof around on um, climate memes find me on twitter <laughs> oh my goodness i would like love a cat slash climate meme <laughs> oh, i have them <laughs> I'll send them. oh my goodness i we will be following up on that for sure <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Rodana, for joining the podcast. It's been such a privilege to sit down with you today. I really, really appreciate your taking the time, and I'm so inspired by you and the work that you're doing. Likewise, Liz, this was great sitting down with you, and looking forward to keep chatting. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is Liz.Best, that's L-A-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting ElizabethBest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch and I'll see you in the next episode.